honey bees flying around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Dropping black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. On the show today, we are setting the table with country ham and how through the dry age process and sliced paper thin, it is then called by that generic Italian name, prosciutto. Our guests on the show today are Alan Benton of Madisonville, Tennessee. He shares a story about how he learned what the word prosciutto meant and how he positioned his product to the world of fine dining. Now his prosciutto goes toe-to-toe with some of the most expensive and well-known high-dollar prosciuttos from all over the world. And Alan Benton's dry-aged country hams are produced right down the road in Madisonville, Tennessee. I'll also share with you a delicious recipe for an easy make-ahead appetizer that I came up with, and I named it Smoky Mountain Sushi. It is not made with seafood, but rather country ham and collard greens and black-eyed peas. It is a crowd-pleaser using regional ingredients. We will also hear an heirloom recipe and accompanying jingle written and performed by Chris Trulson of Bill and the Bells, which comes from the live Farm and Fun Time radio show recorded from the birthplace of Country Music Museum and broadcast from Radio Bristol. The guest for this Farm and Fun Time heirloom recipe and jingle is storyteller Tony Marr on the topic of leftovers. We also get to hear from Fred Sossman from Johnson City with Fred's Potluck Radio segment. And this one features sisters Joyce and Nancy McCarroll, who until the end of 2018 ran the restaurant at Traveler's Rest in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Thank you so much for your good company here today. I really do appreciate you tuning in. Let's turn now to Alan Benton. Now, Alan does not advertise on this show. I just like to brag on him because he makes Tennessee proud. Let's hear in his own words this classic story where he shares how he was struggling as a business and he figured out what prosciutto was from a trip to the uh, fresh market one day. 
And with the help of local chefs and restaurants, he started getting his Smoky Mountain Country hams recognized and turned his business into the success that it is today. to ask you about prosciutto. Yours is every bit as good, if not better, as these high-dollar European Italian prosciuttos. So well, what, what are you doing over here in East Tennessee, Alan, with your prosciutto? Amy, <laughs> when I first heard of prosciutto, I hadn't been in the country hound business long, and I would get a few native European customers in. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first one that I ever heard. I had some native Spaniards. They lived in Miami. They weren't Cubans. They were Spaniards. Mm-hmm. They came with their family, and their children are still customers of mine 41 years later. They cool. still come here. I treasure having them here. They're an incredible family. But uh, they still live in Miami, and uh, they pulled up in my parking lot in a motorhome, and uh, it was a man, wife, and their children. And they purchased some hams, went out, and they stayed in the our parking lot for about an hour or more and they finally came back in and they told us that they'd been eating that ham and it made incredible serrano well I didn't know what serrano was I thought it must be some kind of a dish they're cooking I had no clue what they were talking about and but they said they were slicing it paper thin and eating it just like it was and I, I'd never heard of that of course I'm I was prone at, even at that time to slice bites of it and to, and to eat it mm-hmm. but I'd have, later, I'd have people come in and say, this stuff makes incredible prosciutto. Well, I was just convinced that that was some kind of a pasta dish. <laughs> I was very, very backwards, had no clue. I'd never traveled and had no clue what prosciutto was. I think that's the majority but, of us. Well, but finally, mm-hmm. I can remember my children were young enough till they were all three in car seats in the back of my car. My wife and I had, were visiting a fresh market there in Knoxville. And I passed by the meat case, and I saw that word, P-R-O-S-C-I-U-T-T-O, as I passed by that meat case. And I took through three steps, and it hit me. I thought, what was that? Could that be that stuff that these people keep talking about? So I backed up, and I asked the fellow behind the case. I said, what is that? He said, that is prosciutto. I said, well, I'd like to buy some. And he said, do you want domestic or imported? And I, I was so backward, I didn't have a clue what domestic meant at that time, what he was even talking about. I thought, mm-hmm. I said, well, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, domestic is $13.99 a pound, and, and imported is $21.99 a pound. And I said, well, I certainly want domestic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, whatever this was, I wanted to try it. And I watched him shave what appeared to be a country hen. I took it out to the car and we got there. My wife handed the little paper back and said, you kids want to try this? So they handed the paper back up and it was all gone, Amy. We just laughed. I literally did a U-turn in the parking lot, went back in and told that fellow I wanted to buy a half pound of the imported. And I bought a half pound. I came out to the car and I tasted it. I said, huh. I said, my aged ham is better than that. My wife, Sharon, said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I said, that's nothing but country ham. And I said, I'm telling you, mine is better. I wouldn't let anybody taste it. I came back here, 
came back out to my business. I sliced up a little bit of my 12 or I, I can't remember. I think it was actually about an 18 or 20 month ham. Took it home, put it side by side, and we t- I tasted it. And I said, mine is better. Well, my wife Sharon was a little skeptical, but she tasted both. And she said, huh, yours is better. I still didn't have a clue that I might market that, Amy. Uh, but we started using it at my house. I started trying to do a little research. How do you use this prosciutto? What do you do with it? And it became one of my three children's favorite snacks. And I kept some, you know, usually in the fridge for them, and they would snack on it. Their friends would come over, and they'd all snack on it. And when my oldest started to college at Maryville College, uh, she called me. She had taken back six or eight packs of it. It didn't have to be refrigerated. It's pretty shelf-stable, and she'd taken it back to her dorm room. Well, about two or three days, she calls me. She said, Dad, she said, the kids in my dorm have flipped out over this stuff. She said, you need to be selling it. I said, well, Suzanne, there's no way that people are going to buy that stuff. She kept on, and she made me promise that I would try to slice one up and sell it. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to buy this stuff. But the next morning, I came to work, and I sliced one up and packaged it into four-ounce packs. And I sold it all that day, Amy, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, I can't believe people will buy this. So I started selling some of it, just sliced thin like a prosciutto there in my uh, sales room. And uh, had no clue that it would be, you know, such a big deal for us now. We sell quite a bit of it. People come in and uh, we don't, it's really, we don't call it prosciutto. We just call it country ham, which it is to me. Uh, I had a friend, he was a one of my best friends I've ever had, I loved him like a family. Uh, he was a large fellow. Uh, his name was Eddie Griffith, and such a, an incredible fellow. And he was sitting on my bench in his bibbed overalls. And I talked about this to somebody that came in from some other part of the country. They were all enthralled about it. He looked at me and said, huh, talk like you know all about that stuff. He said, I know how you raised. He said, you never ate that in your life. <laughs> I said, well, now, Eddie, you're wrong. I said, I've eaten that since I was a little boy. He said, Psh. I said, well, I did. I said, we just didn't call it prosciutto. We called it ham meat. <laughs> and my grandparents, we'd go out to the old smokehouse with a knife and shave a little off and get that. And they would give us a treat of that cured pork like that from time to time. And, uh, it, it's, I'm lucky that the rest of the world has discovered uh, for a long time, I fought a battle trying to get our name out there because people felt like if you wanted quality dry cured ham, it had to be imported. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amy, it was a it was a battle. In fact, a fellow, one of my customers in Philadelphia is called De Bruno Brothers. The buyer there, I ran into him in Oxford, Mississippi, and he said, "I want to buy this to sell through my case." And Awesome stuff. Well, about three or four weeks goes by, and he called me, and he said, you know, I had to learn how to sell this stuff. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, people would come in and ask for prosciutto, and I said, i got something I want you to try, this great ham from Tennessee. And he said they just turned their nose up, no, I want imported. And he said he finally thought, what am I going to do to get them broken from this habit? And he said they came, they'd come in, and he'd say, I have something I want you to try. And he'd shave some up and let them try it. And they'd say, oh, my, what is that? He said, only then would I tell them that it was a product from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I still do business with them to this day. Uh, uh, 
another place there in Philadelphia that's a good customer of ours is called Julius Silver. We sell them a lot of stuff today. They're a distributor there in Philadelphia. do a good job for us. Uh, but I had no clue that there was a market for such a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, now chefs have finally figured out that they can buy American-made country hams with a lot of age on it, and they are used very nicely just like you would a European ham. And mm-hmm. uh, we owe a lot of our success, quite honestly, to the talent of these chefs and the ingenuity that they bring uh, because they're the ones that got us the attention. I'm just mm-hmm. a hillbilly making ham and bacon. Uh, <laughs> Amy, all I'm doing is what all of us here in this part of the country were doing in the backyard, and I'm certainly doing it no better than my grandparents or most of their neighbors did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so thankful that our home state has sort of adopted us. Uh, for a long time, mm-hmm. we were much better known in places like New York or New Orleans or Napa Valley. And in the last five or six years, it seems like our home state has sort of adopted our products, too. And I couldn't be prouder because if people in Tennessee say this is good, they know what it's supposed to be like. And that's the ultimate compliment for us, for sure. It absolutely is. And you're probably the most self-effacing person. You don't toot your own horn, but... uh, it's it's part of your charm, Alan, that you're not conceited, well, and it's it's really a pleasure to just know you and talk with you and see what you're doing. And Amy, I'm humble for a reason. What I'm doing, I just read that the founder of Chick Fil A died, and they he was yes. being interviewed a couple of years ago, and they mm-hmm. talked to him about what he had done and what he created, and he smiled and looked at him, and he said, "Look." What I do is not hard. He said, it's easy. If it weren't, he says he couldn't have done it. That's the way I look at what I'm doing. I'm doing this no better than most of the, the, my fellow neighbors in this area have done. And uh, I'm very fortunate. I, like I said, I owe a debt of gratitude to every chef in the country mm-hmm. uh, that's used our products. It all started mm-hmm. with um, Blackberry Farm, our neighbor nearby. Yes. Uh, I couldn't repay the chef who came there named John Fleer. If I tried, I couldn't repay Sam Bell and his family. Mm-hmm. If I tried, I owe them a debt of gratitude that's mm-hmm. mighty big. He opened my eyes as to ways that my products could be used. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember the first time they invited me up to have a meal at Blackberry Farm to show me what they were doing with the product. And I can truthfully tell you this. I shouldn't tell it, but I will. It was fall of the year, and I sometimes don't eat or eat very little. I just work right on it. We were really busy, and Mm-hmm. I was looking forward to that dinner. I went up, and they brought out a large shrimp wrapped in my prosciutto. Yeah. And I looked at it, and I thought that was the main course. And I thought, oh, my, I wished I'd stopped and had a hamburger on the way up. I'm going to starve. <laughs> that's, a true, that's a true story. That's man. funny. It's a true story. But, but after about seven courses and all that they had, it literally, that one meal, I would have to tell you, pretty much changed my world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on my way to becoming a foodie without really knowing it. Uh, it changed the way that I thought about food and that I looked at food. And quite honestly, after eating that kind of cuisine, it was hard to go back uh, to being my old self without thinking about it because it's pretty exceptional. I bet. Absolutely. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and you've been listening to Alan Benton 
of Madisonville, Tennessee. He owns Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams, and he shared with us the story about how he figured out that his dry-aged country hams, sliced paper thin into prosciutto, could compete on a world stage in the arena of fine dining. His prosciutto competes with the most expensive and well-known European prosciuttos, and this is just another story of how Tennessee food makers make Tennessee proud. Links to Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams, my upcoming recipe segment, and all of my guests with pictures are always on my website at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And I'd like to share with you this easy appetizer recipe that I developed and named Smoky Mountain Sushi. An anytime appetizer with an Appalachian Smoky Mountain flair. Now this is not made with any kind of seafood, but rather dry-aged and thin-sliced country ham or prosciutto, along with sautéed collard greens and black-eyed peas. For this recipe, this yields approximately 20 rolls. Here are your ingredients. One bunch of fresh collard greens. You want the whole ones, not chopped up. Ten slices of prosciutto, which is which you can really find anywhere, but of course I like to use Allen Benton's. And black-eyed peas, either canned or cooked. And I prefer to cook mine so I can control the salt content. And all that depends on how much time you've got to devote to this. And here are the directions. You want to triple wash the collard greens to remove all the sand and shake those out and set them aside on a dry towel. Don't worry about getting all the water off. That's really not something that matters very much. And uh, lay out all your ingredients on a work area or a large cutting board. And look at each slice of prosciutto and cut it across the widest part so you end up with two half-moon sheets per piece of prosciutto. Each slice of prosciutto will yield two rolls. Place one cup of prepared black-eyed peas out on your work area, and in the meantime, heat one teaspoon of olive oil in a small saute pan, and quickly take your collard greens, and with a paring knife, take the veins out of the leaves, then chop your collard greens into little pieces, and quickly saute the collard greens in hot oil, but don't overcook them. You only need to saute them maybe a couple of minutes on medium-high heat and remove them so they don't lose that beautiful, vibrant green color. Here's how you assemble these. On each one-half slice of prosciutto, place about a teaspoon of black-eyed peas and then a teaspoon of collard greens. Fold up the ends of the prosciutto to keep the stuffing contained and roll up like you would a little egg roll. Place the seams side down so they don't unroll and put them on a pretty dish and serve. These can be made well ahead of time, like the day before, and they're the kind of thing that you don't have to heat when you arrive at your destination. You just serve them room temperature, and they're not real finicky. If you'd like to view a video online of me demonstrating this recipe on WBIR Channel 10, I've included a link to this in the podcast notes at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And also, I've placed the actual recipe there if you want to print it. So, good luck and enjoy! And up next is a potluck radio segment from Fred Saussman up in Johnson City about the closing of a beloved restaurant in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, which was run by two charming sisters, Joyce and Nancy McCarroll.
This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Saussman. The end of 2018 brought the closure of a popular upstate South Carolina restaurant, the Cafe at Williams Hardware in Traveler's Rest, run by sisters Joyce and Nancy McCarroll. I asked Joyce and Nancy what they'll miss most about the restaurant business. Well, I think the biggest thing that we would both say is that it's the people that we've met. We have had wonderful rewards in that we've met people from all over the world. Well, we're going to travel some. We're going to try to get our lives back after having had them consumed by the restaurant for 10 whole years. The dishes people have come to love at the cafe at Williams Hardware will not be lost. Joyce and Nancy have preserved several of them in book form. When we knew we were closing, we knew that the third book in the series needed to be Cafe Favorites and because everybody said, well, wh- where, how are we going to get our tomato okra soup now? Oh, yes, the pecan encrusted chicken salad is, uh, is included. There's a chicken casserole and, of course, our chicken and biscuits recipe. When the McCarroll sisters heard that the Swamp Rabbit Trail was being planned, they bought the old hardware store building and set up shop serving uncomplicated and flavorful food. When we first opened, there were 40-something empty buildings on Main Street. There's one now. And the best money that anybody's ever spent in the history of the world is Swamp Rabbit Trail. People have asked us if we're going to move away, and we always say no because we won't be able to see Paris Mountain because we know if you can't see Paris Mountain, you're too far from home. For Potluck Radio and Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, I'm Fred Saussman. This is Doug Walker of Walker Family Farms, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. And Doug, where's that Walker Family Farms located? It's located in Mount Vernon, Tennessee. Good deal. Well, how about Miss Janie? Can you say too? This is Janie Walker. I'm the farmer's wife of Walker Family Farm. And we set up at Telco Plains Farmer's Market Saturdays and Wednesdays, April through October. Then you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Up next is Farm and Fun Time Heirloom Recipe and Jingle, recorded live from the birthplace of Country Music Museum and broadcast from Radio Bristol. Storyteller Tony Marr on the topic of leftovers. Leftovers, leftovers, taking up space. I open up my fridge and they all up in my face. Food is at the center of our culture and is so important in the Appalachian region. It represents much more than what we eat. Food represents family, memories, history, place, and more. Our presenter this month is storyteller Tony Marr. Tony has spent years captivating audiences with his larger-than-life tales. As an award-winning speaker and storyteller, he is the 2018 Tim Penagos Storytelling Winner Showcase, uh, Showcase Winner, three-time South Carolina Liars Winner, uh, National Story Slam Finalist, and he also tours across the country telling his tales. Maybe not so much an heirloom recipe, but rather an heirloom warning. Tony is going to tell us a story about leftovers and the issues that arise when we forget about what's in the fridge. Please give a big farm and fun time welcome to Tony Marr.
Thank you, ladies. That, that may be the best intro that I've ever had. Thank you so much. So it is the holiday season. I know you're thinking, no, it's not. It's not the holiday season, but it is the holiday season because by my watch, there are still two days left for leftovers. Uh, they're still good for two days. Leftovers are one of the best parts of the holiday season, right? And the greatest time is that period after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas, when you have all of the Thanksgiving leftovers and then all of the pre-Christmas cookies and candies and all of that. My mom makes the best Thanksgiving dinner. But this year, my parents decided that they were going to take a three-week cruise through Europe on the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So me being the eldest son, it was my responsibility to go over two or three times a week, check the mail, make sure that the plants got watered and, and all of that. So I'd pack my kids up and we'd head over and spend some time at grandma and grandpa's house. Grandma and grandpa have cable, so that, that activity took several hours. A couple weeks into this, this job opportunity, uh, like happened most times when we arrived at grandma and grandpa's house, it didn't take but about five minutes before my kids came into the living room and said, Dad, we are starving to death. So I said what I normally said, go check the pantry. My mom's pantry is like a supermarket. She has everything in that pantry that I never keep in my house, things like Yoo-Hoo's and, and Slim Jims and Little Debbie Cakes, things that my kids aren't allowed to eat, but at Grandma and Grandpa's house, anything goes. Problem is, it had been two and a half weeks and the cupboard was bare. So I said to my kids, go check the fridge. They looked at me like I had just sent them on a suicide mission. Now, there was good reason for this. You see, my mom's refrigerator was the place where leftovers went to die. And were oftentimes, like Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. <laughs> my mom's refrigerator was featured in an entire season of hoarders. This place, it, 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 is, it is a disaster. It, it's a, the thing of urban legends, if we're being honest. There was the great ketchup debate of 2016. Yeah, we were having a family barbecue, and my kids wanted ketchup for their hot dogs, and my mom said, go get it out of the pantry. Out of the pantry. Mom, I said, refrigerator. It's supposed to be refrigerated. Ketchup needs to be refrigerated after it's open. She said, no, it doesn't. Mom, it needs to be refrigerated. No, it doesn't. It's made out of tomatoes and sugar. Neither of those need to be kept anywhere but in the pantry, and so ketchup is fine. So I grabbed the ketchup, and I showed her in big, bold words where it said, refrigerate after opening. Failure to do so may, may result in, in severe bodily injury or even death. So she took it and threw it in the fridge where it still sits to this day. There was the case of the Hidden Valley Ranch that definitely should have stayed hidden. But the one that we don't talk about very much at all is the tale of the cross-country croc. See, in 2015, we were having a, another barbecue and my kids wanted butter for the corn on the cob. My oldest daughter, Jocelyn, went in to get some out of the refrigerator, and soon I heard shrieks coming from the kitchen. I ran in to see what was happening. My daughter was curled up in the fetal position. All she did was point at the open container of country crock margarine sitting on the island. I looked at it, and I took a step back and gasped. I looked at the expiration date, which my mom thought was just a government conspiracy to get us to buy more food. <laughs> It had expired in 2003. 
Now, the fact that my mom had 12-year-old margarine in her refrigerator is bad enough. But what makes it worse is that my family moved from our home in Las Vegas, Nevada to Johnson City, Tennessee in 2005. So my parents thought it prudent to pack and move two-year expired margarine 2,000 miles across this great country of ours. So when my kids looked at me with that look, they had reason to be scared. So me, being the paterfamilias, I got up from the lazy chair in front of the cable television and I walked over and opened the refrigerator. I pulled out a casserole dish and my kids looked at me and I said, guys, I'm going to teach you a quick lesson. How to decipher whether food is edible or not. There are three stages of mold that you need to know about. This is a life lesson with dad. Stage one is a sea foam green. It's nice and fuzzy and is, is often confined to a small little space. You can just scrape that off and eat the food. It's no problem. <laughs> Stage two. Stage two is multicolored like an Elton John suit. And it contains more hair than David Hasselhoff. If you find this kind of mold on your leftovers, your best bet is just to toss it out. Now, you can scrape it off and try, but I don't recommend it. And then there's stage three. Stage three mold looks like something that comes out of a 1930s horror movie. It bubbles and it moans and it groans. And my kids looked at me and said, Dad, what if it's stage three? And just as they did that, that leftover casserole dish bubbled and gurgled. I quickly grabbed it, threw it back into the refrigerator, slammed the door shut, leaned up against it, pushed my heels hard into the ground, and stared at my children, their impressionable eyes looking to me for answers. So I looked at them and said, grab your coats. We're going to McDonald's. Thank you guys so much. Tony Marr, everybody. To hear more of his stories, visit TonyMarr, M-A-R-R dot com. Uh, delicious heirloom recipe. <clears throat> so, if you've seen Farm and Fun Time before, you know there's always a second part to uh, the heirloom recipe segment, and that's the part where we write a jingle about what you just heard. And we're going to do that. This one came very naturally for me. This is a subject I'm very familiar with. Uh, we call this one Leftovers. Oh. 
leftovers, leftovers. Big thanks to Tony Marr. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.